0: Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I will read verses 46 through 55. This is Mary's response to the angel who has just told her that she would uh, conceive and bear a child. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers. To Abraham. And to his offspring. Forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Yes. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth. And the meditation of all of our hearts. Be. Acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 So, last week at this time, uh, Sebastian Adamson Bruce was my favorite grandson. And today, he is my favorite grandson named Sebastian. Because in the meantime, I got a second grandson. Yeah, his name is Archibald Alexander Morrison. So I can't say to either of them that they're my favorite anymore. But uh, you know, Sebastian had a good run for a full year there. Uh, he, he's an excellent, excellent baby. You'll see him running around here this morning. Uh, yeah. So on uh, on two days ago, uh, my son Calvin and and uh, his wife Cheryl uh, received this baby. We went up. To, he was born in Bethlehem, by the way. Which is really a nice place to be born. Uh, Santa Claus was there. There's a picture of him with Santa Claus, and um, I'm very pleased because you know my son wanted to have uh, children since the time he since the time he got married, right? And they they tried for a while and didn't didn't have any luck, and I was very impressed with my son in his fathering. So there we are in the room. He's a little grumpy because he hasn't had much sleep. And, and calvin calvin was a little grumpy i wasn't grumpy. No. calvin was a little grumpy because he hadn't had any sleep and we, you know we had come barging in, into his room and we there you know fussing with the baby and the baby's in what do they call that thing the bassinet i guess they call it and my wife's there with her cup of of dunkin donuts coffee and calvin says you have to get that coffee out of there you gotta be careful with that baby and ava was like a little put out you know I, I, she says you know i've I've raised plenty of kids don't tell me how to do this and he says this one's mine and i thought that's the right answer that boy is your boy and he's going to defend that boy and raise that boy to be a great man of god one day we've uh he his, his name is archibald alexander uh for those of you who were not born and bred presbyterians archibald alexander was the first Uh, professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, And so, you know, my grandson has taken on this great American Presbyterian name. They're calling him Archie. Uh, And so I look forward to you getting to meet him one one of these days soon. So Handel's Messiah is one of the best known and most frequently performed choral pieces in all of Western music. It is what is known as an oratorio, which, as far as I understand it, is like an opera, but without the acting and the sets and the costumes. These days, it is customary to perform the Messiah during the Christmas season. But originally, it was actually sung at Easter time, here in Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church, during the years of Ebi Flack, who was our choir director, There were many memorable performances of Handel's Messiah. I understood there were 50 singers up here and a house full of people out there. Some of you sitting here this morning, I spot a couple of you, have sung the Messiah here in this church. All of us, of course, have heard this music a thousand times. The Hallelujah Chorus is probably the most famous part. The words are drawn straight from Scripture. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Amen. Revelation 19, 6. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and lord of lords hallelujah hallelujah revelation nineteen sixteen. the song is about a king and his kingdom well actually it's about kings and kingdoms notice that in that one compact verse first kingdom of this world and kingdom of our lord there are two kingdoms that are going to become one and second our lord and his christ That's the name of two kings who are both members of one trinity. There's actually a lot of theology, uh, and we need to talk a little bit about that here this morning. Tomorrow, of course, is Christmas Day, the day that we celebrate the birth of King Jesus. We all remember that the wise men saw The star in the east portending the birth of a king and so they came a great distance and they were searching and they were bearing gifts and they were wanting to pay homage to the newborn king. Maybe you remember also from the gospel of Mark that after he met the wise men King Herod ordered the execution of all the boys under the age of two in and around the city of Bethlehem because he feared the rise of a rival king. And when John the baptizer, the one who was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah, began to preach he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus himself, when he began to preach said the same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A large portion of Jesus' preaching was about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and the terms are used interchangeably in the Gospels. For example, do not be anxious. What Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after those things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. Or how about, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For it's better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and go to hell. That's Jesus. Mark 9, 47. How about this one? He who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That's Jesus speaking there in Mark chapter 10, verse 15. A lot of Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13 has a whole string of them. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants. The kingdom of heaven, it is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and bought the pearl. And the kingdom of heaven is like a net that is let down into a lake that caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up out of the lake onto the shore and they sat down and they collected the good fish into baskets but they threw the bad ones away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lots and lots of talk about the kingdom of God from King Jesus. In some sense, if someone were to ask you, what is Christianity all about, you could say, well, it's about a king and a kingdom. And that wouldn't be a bad answer. But what is this kingdom? And where is this kingdom? And who are the citizens of this kingdom? And what does it mean to say that Jesus, born to Mary in Bethlehem, is the king in this kingdom? Honestly, I'm afraid that this is one of those cases where we in the church use language about king and kingdom, and it sounds so familiar because we keep repeating it, but we're actually not very clear about what it means. Right up to the end of his earthly life, talk of The king and the kingdom clung to Jesus. When Jesus was on trial, he stood before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who represented Caesar, and Caesar undeniably was a king. And Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus began his preaching by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, my kingdom is, is, is right here. But then at the same time, he says, my kingdom's not in this world. So, what does it mean? Jesus was crucified between two criminals. One of the criminals reviled Jesus. But the other said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to that man, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So where is this kingdom? On the eve of the birthday of King Jesus, I want us to spend (coughs) some time thinking about clarifying what it means to call Jesus our King, what it means to be a citizen of the Kingdom of God. But let's begin going forward by going backwards. Many Jewish prayers begin with this phrase, Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, which means Blessed. Are you, Lord God, king of the universe? That phrase, melech ha'olam, king of the universe, does not actually appear in the Bible, but the idea of God as the ruler of the universe, as the king of the universe, as the sovereign of the universe, is throughout Scripture. For example, Exodus 15, 18, we hear, the Lord will reign forever and ever. In Revelation eleven fifteen, 15, we hear, He shall reign forever and ever. This word reign is a royal word. It's not a democratic word. Presidents and prime ministers do not reign. To say that the Lord reigns is to say that the Lord is the unelected king, that he is the absolute monarch. That he is the sovereign, and the reign of the king of the universe, according to the Bible, is forever and ever since eternity past. The Lord has reigned. For all eternity future, the Lord will reign. Amen. Now, more than 2,000 years before Jesus was born, God called Abraham to be the father of a special nation. A nation that would play a special role in the history of the world that God had created. God had a plan to bless all nations, and he would accomplish that plan through the descendants of Abraham. The descendants of Abraham, the children of Israel, do not become a nation Until Moses leads them out of slavery in Egypt, he brings them into the wilderness where they receive the Ten Commandments and the rest of God's law. And when the children of Israel enter the Promised Land, that law becomes the legal system of a new nation. The Kingdom of Israel. And for a long time, Israel did not have a human king. Yahweh was their king. God is the king of the universe. That's one kind of kingship. But he also became the king of the nation of Israel. And that's a different kind of kingship. Then, in the time of Samuel, the people complained. They wanted a human king like all the other nations. And so God relented and gave them Saul and told them that they would live to regret it. Saul later was replaced by King David. And the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. During the reign of King David, the land was safe, the borders were secure, the people prospered, and the kingdom of Israel reached its greatest extent and highest power. As we read this morning, God promised David, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. This is a passage that we read during Advent because it is a messianic prophecy. It is a prophecy given to David about his remote descendant, Jesus of Nazareth. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of King Jesus. But the kingdom of Jesus is very different from the kingdom of David. And this caused confusion For people who were living during the earthly ministry of Jesus. We all remember what happened on that first Palm Sunday. Crowds thronged the streets of Jerusalem on that Sunday before the first Easter. They were ecstatic to welcome and to cheer for Jesus. Because they thought that Jesus would restore the kingdom of Israel and expel the Romans. Hosanna they cried. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They celebrated, but they misunderstood. Because while the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Caesar were kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of Jesus is not of this world. Theologians distinguish Three kinds of divine rule, or three kinds of divine kingdoms. They talk about the kingdom of power, they talk about the kingdom of grace, and they talk about the kingdom of glory. When the Jewish prayer calls God the king of the universe, it is pointing to his kingdom of power. Nothing in this world happens apart from the sovereign power of God. God is in control of all things and all people. As Martin Luther said in such a surprising way, even the devil is God's devil. Remember, he's just a created being. Nothing in this world exists apart from God. Even Satan himself would cease to exist if God did not continue to hold him in existence. And so there is the kingdom of power in which the triune God reigns. Every human being who has ever existed, every angel who has ever been created, every molecule in our physical universe is part of God's kingdom of power. God rules it all. the Word of God, who is the second person of the Trinity, participates in that reign of power from eternity past to eternity future. God governs the world, kingdom of power. But there's another kingdom, and it's called the kingdom of grace. When sin entered the world, when the fall happened, and we were expelled from the garden, we humans found ourselves estranged from God by an act of our own free will. We rebelled against God and all kinds of consequences followed from that sin. But God, in his great love for us, in his great love for his creation, sent the word of God, the second person of the Trinity, into the world to be born as a human more than 2,000 years ago. His name was Jesus. And Jesus inaugurated what these theologians call the kingdom of grace. That was the kingdom that was drawing near as Jesus preached it. That was the kingdom that Jesus said that we had to be like children to enter. The kingdom of grace is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world. The citizens of the kingdom of grace, Jesus tells us, are the poor in spirit. They are the meek. They are the peacemakers. They are the pure in heart. They have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And we only enter into the kingdom of grace by personal regeneration and repentance. That's why the beginning of the gospel is repent. First word of the gospel is repent. There is no good news without repentance. Repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. So who are the citizens of the kingdom of grace? Every single person, past, present, and future, who has repented of their fallen condition and turned to King Jesus for salvation. Those are the citizens of the kingdom of grace. So often we talk about Jesus as our Savior, which is a good thing. But for Christ to be our Savior, Christ also must be our King. During this season, we sing, What child is this who, laid to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while angels watch our keeping. That verse is a question about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth, whose birth we celebrate tomorrow. Who is this guy? Why lies he in such mean a state where ox and ass are feeding good Christians fear for sinners here? The word is pleading. The silent word is pleading. That second verse speaks to the humbling of Christ as the cause of our salvation. We would not have been saved had not the word of God deigned to become a man and to wear flesh. And so finally we were able to sing, so bring him incense, gold and myrrh, come peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. That has to be our response if we are to be a part of the kingdom of God. We have to own Christ. We have to say, this man, he's my king. We have to enthrone him in our hearts. We have to allow him To rule our lives. Not everyone who is in God's kingdom of power is also in God's kingdom of grace. I trust that you understand this. According to Jesus, not everyone is saved. Because not everyone has owned Christ as their king. All of us have someone sitting on the throne of our hearts. Everyone serves one king or another. You get to choose. I don't know about you. I know my own story. For many years, I was my own personal king. I served myself. I knew the Bible. I understood the gospel. But I was not willing to let Jesus rule me. I was not willing to allow the Word of God to reign in my life. I was the king. I didn't want another king in there. And so I was outside of the kingdom of grace. For sure, I was part of God's kingdom of power. He still ruled me, like all of the rest of the universe, like even the devils in hell. While I thought I was ruling myself, God was still in control And in his sovereign grace toward me, he drew me toward his kingdom of grace. Amen. I did not run to find Jesus. Jesus pursued me. I did not go looking for God to rule in my life. God had to convince me that it was time to let him rule. God invites each one of us to be citizens in his kingdom of grace. We enter that kingdom by faith in Jesus as our Savior, by submission to Jesus as our King. The first step in becoming a citizen of the kingdom of grace, of the kingdom of God, the first step is repentance recognizing that you know what the way I've been living does not satisfy God and I I have a problem and I need to change what I'm doing God invites all people into his kingdom of grace if you have not responded to that invitation yet I invite you to do that this morning well it's actually this afternoon you don't have to understand everything about Jesus to respond to the invitation. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology. All you need to do is recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you are in a sinner in need of God's grace. All you need to do is to be willing to let Jesus start calling the shots in your life. If you do that, Jesus will be your King. He will be your Savior. And you will be a citizen of the kingdom of God and this kingdom of grace. I said that there were three kingdoms that theologians talk about. The kingdom of power. That's God's rule over everything. The kingdom of grace, which is the kingdom of all those people who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then there's a third divine kingdom. That's what the theologians call the kingdom of glory. The kingdom of glory is still yet to come. It's not here yet. The word of God became flesh and he dwelt among us as Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said that he was going to come back and he was going to gather all of the people who were part of his kingdom of grace. He was going to gather them all together and that he was going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And every person who is part of the kingdom of grace will then be part of his kingdom of glory. Those who have received God's grace in this world will rule with God in his kingdom of glory. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Sin and death will be banished and we will reign with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you were before the world's were made, and that you made these worlds good and that you loved us even in spite of our rebellion against you and our waywardness and our unwillingness to listen and to obey. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. We ask this day that we might have the faith that we need to cling to Christ alone. Lord Jesus, we ask you to be our Savior and we ask you to reign in our hearts as We ask this in your beautiful name.